As you settle in there, take your Bibles. And we're returning to John. We'll be completing chapter 14 this morning. Picking up where we left off two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, actually. And uh, then we'll be moving in future weeks to chapter 15, that marvelous and bit complex passage, particularly verses 1 through 17. But today we finish up looking at verses 25 through 31 of chapter 14. Again, follow along. God's marvelous word. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If, I, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this glorious day. Thank you for bringing us together, giving us a song to sing, giving us a common prayer to pray, giving us a common hatred for sin, and a common desire to go out more like Jesus. Use your word now to work all that in us, which is pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. Over the past 150 years, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, has uh, largely been hijacked by fringe radicals. Uh, they've turned the Holy Spirit into something rather than the person of the Godhead, into something of a psychological phenomenon. Uh, he has become it, and that's never a good thing, whether we're talking about a person of the Godhead or a person of humanity. Historically and biblically, the church has not treated him like a psychological phenomenon, but treated him as the third person of the Holy Godhead, one who can be lied to, one that can be grieved by the sin of the people. Over the past few weeks, we've deliberately and slowly considered this passage beginning in verse 15, where the Lord says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. 
And we've just poked along. We noticed the first week that the work of the Spirit is unique in his work among Christians. He doesn't work in the church among Christians the way he works in the world. His work among us is one of deliberation. It's one of specificity. It's one of love. It's one that's bringing us to glorify Christ and to love the Father. In the world, he serves the purpose of being a restrainer on sin. Making sinners, as I heard one scholar pastor say recently, his role in the world is to simply make them miserable. And that's what we'll come to in chapter 16 of John. Is that very point. But that's for a few weeks away. So we saw that the work of the Spirit's unique in the Christian life. Then we saw the Spirit of Christ working objectively in the Christian life. Even though it's the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is Spirit. He's not like, doesn't have a body like man. And we tend to think of the Holy Spirit in some sort of terms like Casper the Friendly Ghost. If you're too young or too old for Casper, just see Bradley Clout. Since you're already going to be seeing him about something else, I'll just let him handle the Casper analogy. But people do, and that's what led to the whole psychological phenomenon of the holiness movement and the Keswick movement. And on and on it went from the middle of the 19th century until the present day. Instead of understanding and thinking about the Holy Spirit in an objective way, we saw it. We're not orphans. He's here with us. He's real. He's the one who helps us keep the law of God. That's objective. That's not subjective. And on and on we looked at that a few weeks back. Now, today we get to this point. The Spirit of Christ works subjectively in the Christian life. The Spirit works subjectively in the Christian life. Notice, Jesus refocuses here, as it were, from verse 15, 25. He comes right back to the same things he's been saying in verse 15. And he says this. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. There's more, but we'll stop right there with that to start with. He's our helper. Literally, he's the one right beside us. As I've said before, he's the one behind us, beside us, in front of us. That's who the paraclete is. That's who the one who's called along beside us is, the Holy Spirit. He's there at every turn. We're not orphans, remember? Jesus has said that earlier. Not going to leave us as orphans, verse 18 tells us. He's going to come. We looked at that. What does that mean that he's going to come to us? Because he's going away. Ultimately, and in this context, particularly, it means 
he's going to come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Father is doing. The Father and the Son are sending us the Spirit. You say, well, here Jesus said the Father is going to send. Yes, but in chapter 16, we learn that it's the Father and the Son. It's just another one of those points, and we see this all through the Scriptures. Uh, the distinction Father, Son, Holy Spirit's made over and over again. But then each of them doing the same work. The overlapping of their work reminds us that the three are one. When Jesus says, I only speak, I don't speak on my own, I speak what the Father says to speak, that's not Jesus saying, I have no clue, I'm just a puppet here. Second person of the Godhead, but I got nothing for you. That's him saying, I'm just speaking what we've agreed upon from eternity. I'm not, I'm not doing anything different than what the Father would say if he were here. And we're going to get the same thing with the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. And then we're told that he's speaking what the Father has given him. Now, here's another tough tough one. I'm going to go ahead and address this right now. Uh, When Jesus says in verse 28, for the Father is greater than I. Oh, you can imagine the bad theology that's been been gleaned from that, the misreading of that little verse, taking that in isolation. All of a sudden, you got the Father at the top of the totem pole. Then you got Jesus somewhere down here, and you got the Holy Spirit down here. But again, remember, this is the God-man speaking. This is Jesus in flesh speaking. Right now, in his work on this earth, the Father exalted on high is in a greater relationship to him than he will be soon when he ascends and resumes his place on the throne with the Father. But in the economy, the outworking of the divine trinity on this earth, There is a relationship. The Father didn't condescend. The Father didn't take on flesh. The Son did. That's what that's about. That they are one. But they're distinct. And in terms, remember what we testify every once in a while from the Athanasian Creed? That concerning his his deity, the Father is not greater than the Son. But concerning his flesh, the Father is superior to the Son. Because the Spirit's superior to the flesh. And here Jesus just throws that in there, expecting us to know all that good theology that John has taught us in the first 14 and a half chapters. Well, let's go back after dealing with that. He's our helper, we're said. Uh, We're told here. He's the helper, the Holy Spirit. Same thing that Jesus had said back in chapter uh, 14, verse 16. But here's where I want to go. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. See, all of a sudden, there again, you got the Trinity. Father, send in my name. And guess what the Holy Spirit's going to do? The Holy Spirit is going to glorify Christ. The Trinity. They all have their distinct work. 
And yet it's one work because they are one. He's the helper. I said before when we looked at the word helper, it carries that whole full meaning. It's pregnant of advocate. He's our, he's our legal aid advocate. He's our intercessor. Paul speaks about this, and he's the strength. He's the strong one. So I want us to look at that for a moment. We're not orphans. As hard as this world can be and as lonely as we can feel sometimes, we are not alone. Isn't that wonderful? I hope you find great solace in that, in those days where you're in the middle of a work situation and you're the only Christian in the mix. And you can feel pretty lonely, can't you? I remember those days still playing baseball, being, being traveling in a, in, a, in, a, in a van with a bunch of guys playing college ball. And, and man, I just felt like I just want to die if I hear that one more time. We, get, we, we can become lonely. We can become despondent. And the Holy Spirit's there to help us and remind us he's right there with us. We're not alone. The spirit of the living God is there. He props us up when we're weak. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans? One of the, one of the times that Paul says something like this, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Elsewhere, Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. How could he say that? Because he knew this. Because he knew the Holy Spirit. He knew the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. He knew this promise. This promise had been, had been not only revealed to him as it is to us, but it had been realized in Paul's life. And one of the ways that he keeps us from feeling lonely and one of the ways he aids us in our weakness is that he intercedes for us. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself, notice the emphasis there, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That should, that should perk you up. Those times when you just don't feel, we've talked about this on Wednesday night with the adults and talking about prayer over the past few months. There are just times you don't know how to pray. It may concern health. It may concern a job situation. It may concern children. And you're just not sure how to pray. And that verse says... That this helper, this advocate, this intercessor will pray for the saints according to the will of God. You say, but I don't know what the will of God is. That's okay. He does. Because he's God. So as we've said back here on Wednesdays several times, we pray God's words. And we don't always know how that relates But the spirit of the living God does. 
That's one of the beautiful things. That's the reason Jesus is telling us this. Because he knows his disciples, they're going to be lonely soon. They're going to be, they're going to be living in a more hostile world soon. Well, if they thought it was hostile while Jesus was there with them. Have you read the book of Acts? Have you? Have you read 1st and 2nd Corinthians? Have you read Philippians? When Paul's writing from prison? I mean, it was like when Jesus ascended on high, it ju- everything just went crazy on this earth. Every enemy of Christ just went into full accelerated mode. And Jesus is saying now, don't worry about it. The spirit will be with you. The spirit will be there to help you. The spirit will be your legal aid. The spirit will be interceding for you. And encompassed in this, encompassed in this, is strength. We forget that sometimes. The helper, the comforter. Come forth. We don't use the word properly much anymore. It's taken on a different meaning. But it's with strength, with fortification. Isn't that remarkable? Again, that's why Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because he's the strength. He's the one who, who gives me the muscles. But there's more. Listen to what Paul says. He not only recognizes his weaknesses, but he delights in them. And he has said to me, this is 2 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10. He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in mistreatment, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. When we're suffering, when we're lonely, it's on Christ's behalf. Paul says, and this is tough, isn't it? More than once, he says that we're to enter into the sufferings of Christ. I don't know about you. I don't like that verse. I had a lady once, a friend of the family, who disliked greatly the book of James. Luther did too. There's some hard things in the Bible. But when Paul says that we're to enter into the sufferings of Christ, that's one of the hardest. We don't like that thought. But Paul says we're supposed to delight in it. Delight in mistreatment, delight in distress, delight in persecution, in difficulties. Why? Because we're living in behalf of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Is how he closes that. But there's more. 
He's going to teach us. He's going to instruct us in all things pertaining to faith and life. Did you see that there? The, the helper. That's what we've been talking about. The father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And we're going to get to this more, so I won't say much now. But this is, this is a big point that Jesus is going to bring back in chapter 16. But he's going to teach us. The word there is didacts. It's, it's, he's going to be our teacher, our guide in truth. He's going to be right there. And think about it. He's going to be right there beside us. Have you ever had a tutor? Some of you are so smart you didn't need tutors. Others of us need tutors. And that tutor, you don't want him on the phone. You don't want her on Zoom. You want her right there beside you, right? So she can, she can see. He can see what you're doing. And you don't have to take a picture and send it off and wait for the picture to come back. And uh, some of you some of you college kids ran into that during COVID, right? With your Zoom classes and, and you had to do your work and you, you took your handy dandy iPad or your phone, you took a picture and you sent it to the, to the lecturer, the instructor, and they, they checked and they snap it and send it back to you. It was grand, wasn't it? Just a marvelous way of teaching. And then they didn't explain, they didn't address what you ask about. So you've got to do it again. You don't want that. That's not what we get. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our paraclete, our side-by-side instructor. He's going to teach you all things. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, chapter 16, verse 12 says. Like Christ, he's going to speak what he receives from the Father. In other words, the triune God speaks with one voice because they're one. See, we've come back around. So when the Holy Spirit teaches, he's teaching what the the Father has given. And he's teaching what Jesus has been teaching. There's no distinction. Part Part of his teaching is spelled out in the same verse here also. Did you notice this? It says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. You have those times. If you're a believer, you have those times when just suddenly in the middle of some loneliness, suddenly in the midst of some hostility, suddenly in the midst of some time of meditation, passage of scripture comes to mind. You weren't reading it. No one asked you a question. It just comes to mind. If I were to ask, every believer in here could say yes, absolutely. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And see, this is why I, I gave this this, this point as the subjective work of the Holy Spirit. You, you, nobody, nobody, you can't explain that to anyone. Nobody can see that happening. But it's real nevertheless, isn't it? 
he brings to our remembrance all that Christ has said. We're not left to human ability alone to read and understand and remember the Bible. I want to ask you something. Do you pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination on your mind as you're coming here on Sundays, knowing that you're going to be taught in Sunday school and you're going to be, you're going to hear the preaching of the word that the Holy Spirit, or do you, or do you just take it like a mechanical human naturalistic approach? Well, he's going to say something. I'm going to listen and I'll decide if I like it or not. Don't answer that question. Be careful. Do you pray that the spirit of the living God would bring to remembrance all that I have said to you, all that Jesus has said? As you read your Bible during the week, is it just a, okay, there's my marker, start right there, got it, chapter 15 is under the belt, move the marker. We don't pray before, we don't pray during, we don't pray after that the Spirit would take the word and bring to remembrance all that the Lord has said concerning that passage of Scripture. Although God gives men to the church to preach and teach, that's obvious from passages like Ephesians chapter 4, we're not left on our own to discern. The Holy Spirit is the one the ultimate, the final teacher. He's the one who takes the word we read, who takes the word that's preached and drives it home. And without the spirit, it's just dead letter. Just ink on a page. Chapter one of our Westminster Confession of Faith is so wonderful and beautiful in the way it describes that work of the Holy Spirit taking the word of God and driving it into our souls so that we don't walk away from it unchanged. But again, Jesus doesn't stop here. He's our teacher. He's the one that brings to remembrance all that Jesus has said. And then notice, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That'd be really easy to jump out of the context here and just think Jesus is talking about his peace, wouldn't it? But that's not... He's not talking about himself. Who is the peace he leaves with us? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is the one who gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all those fruit. He's just moving right on through with his thought process here. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. We receive the peace of the Prince of Peace through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason that Paul could say in Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 that the Lord grants us a peace that defies human comprehension. You can't objectify it, but it's real. And again, every true believer in this building has been there. Unsettledness in the family, uncertainty in the workplace, a nation 
tottering on the edge of just absolute insanity like our nation. And all of a sudden, it's just like, it's not an indifference, is it? I'm not indifferent to the condition of our nation. I'm not indifferent to the the spiritual welfare of someone. But there's perfect peace. The old hymn, Peace Like a River, there's just peace. Again, like when the Holy Spirit brings Scripture to mind, where'd that come from? Well, we know now, don't we? It's the Holy Spirit. And that peace, that settling, calm effect, just like when Jesus, the the Sea of Galilee is raging, rocking them. They're scared to death. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And it just went. It went, went from raging to just absolutely glassy. And that happens in our lives. And it's only possible for believers because the Holy Spirit. And notice, this is not as the world gives, do I give to you. This is not some sort of some sort of some sort of fabricated peace. This is not some kind of psychological peace. This is not some sort of drug-induced peace. This is divine peace. This is godly peace. This is the work of the Holy Spirit just to bring us calm in the midst of storms. But it's not just that kind of peace. It's also a peace that's necessary in life for us to prevail, for us to flourish, and for us to succeed in life's journey. You all know that it's hard, it's hard to flourish when you're always unsettled. It's hard to prevail in a difficult situation when you're, when you're uncertain. And the Spirit of the living God brings us all that so that we can So that we can. He establishes the context for this, doesn't he? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What's the context? Where is this going to be needed in the world? And we won't get it like the world gets it. We'll get it from the Holy Spirit. And therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So Jesus now gives him a little poking. You're thinking carnally, you're thinking materially, you're thinking physically, you want me to stay around, it's it's better for you, and you should be Rejoicing, Jesus says, that I go back to the Father so the Holy Spirit can be with you in every situation. See, at the time, Jesus on the earth, God-man, both divine and human, when he was in Galilee, he wasn't in Jerusalem. Now, he's in heaven on the throne with the Father. And when the Spirit is here with us right now, he's with our friends at Oak Ridge Baptist right down there. 
during the week when he's with you in a hard, difficult work situation. He's with other people in hard, difficult situations on the other side of the world simultaneously. That's the reason Jesus says what he says. He says, and now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So now they're looking forward, talking about the time, and that's obviously a reference to Pentecost, Acts. We get there to the book of Acts, and you see the Holy Spirit come, that wonderful work that he brings about in the church, and then all the outworking of that in the historical context of the church in the book of Acts. He says, he has no claim on me. That is the ruler of the world. But I do as the Father has commanded me. I want to suggest to you, not suggest, I want to tell you, as I've said in recent weeks, the Holy Spirit has no claim on us. You may have read some of those fantastical fictional books on the Holy Spirit where he's behind every bush and tree. And he's got, seems like, omnipresent nature and knows everything you're thinking and he doesn't. Just like he had no claim on Christ, he has no claim on you or me. How do I know that? Because Paul tells us, Jesus tells us right here, if he doesn't have a claim on him, he doesn't have a claim on us. Why do I know that? Because I'm in Christ. We're united to Christ. Paul says that Jesus has put down the powers of this world and the chief power of this world is Satan. So we don't have to worry about him being under the bed at night or in the closet or on that dark trail when we're hiking in the mountains or we're in the tent at night and you hear the crunch out. It may be a bear, but it's not Satan. the Holy Spirit. He's defeated. Don't forget the words of John, the same John that's recording this. He said in 1 John, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's where we live, folks, in the reality of that. You're claimed by Christ and you're cared for by the Holy Spirit. That's who we are as Christians. Claimed by Christ, cared for by the Holy Spirit. And then notice, the objective truth comes back in. As he's been talking about all this stuff that's like, oh my goodness, he brings to my mind things. He brings me this peace that's beyond understanding. And then Jesus reminds them, it's because he's going back to the Father. That's the basis because he's seated on high, we can be certain of this. The Holy Spirit. Christ's absence from this present age is the ground for our confidence, our comfort, and our progress in faith because it's the basis for the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How can I do that? Because I'm fleshly. The spirit of the living God. Jesus comes right back around to that. 
He did it twice, and now he lands with it again. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And that's the end. Let's go from here. And if that's all Jesus had taught us about the Holy Spirit, that would have been sufficient. But it's not. He's going to go into some of the fine, finer points. He's going to talk more about how the hatred of this world is going to be played out. And he's going to come back again in chapter 16, full bore on the Holy Spirit and his work, not only in the world, but in our lives. Teaching us, comforting us, giving us peace, strengthening us, calming us in the midst of the assaults of the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is not just the work of the Holy Spirit, but that's the salvation that we have. We've not been left alone. And let's not live that way. Father, thank you for your word, for the solace that's here in the person of the Holy Spirit. We love you. We thank you for the spirit of the living God. We thank you for Jesus Christ who taught us this and for you, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. We pray now indeed for your church to rise up and for the kingdom that is your church to prevail. In Jesus' name, amen.